Crow Hill here from Beer and Conversation with Pigweed and Crow Hill. Today we drink an IPA and talk about Machiavelli. Hello and welcome to Beer and Conversation with Pigweed and Crow Hill. Good evening, Pigweed. Good evening, Crow Hill. What's on your mind today? Uh, I noticed in your backyard that, uh, Nasty rotting stump is gone. Yeah, those things. You know, it's easy that it's easy to cut a tree down. Mm-hmm. It's the stump to get rid of. That's the work. Yeah, it's hard to get it out of the ground. But yeah. then once you get it out of the but ground, what are you going to do with it, right? Yeah. So I did. I did find a solution. The neighbor's kid had this um, had this little plastic uh, like wagon. Yeah, and I was able to kind of get the thing up on top of the wagon mm. and drag it out for the bulky trash pickup. Right. And so that was that worked out great. Oh, good. And now what? So now the kids got a, a wagon full of dirt and junk in it? Or? No, they took the wagon, too. I mean, they took the wagon. Well, they, they saw it out there in the spot for, you know, getting rid of oh, junk. Gosh, you must feel horrible about that. No. I mean, I got what I wanted. I got the stump out of the backyard. And the ends justify the means, right? Ends justify the means? Where, where, I mean, I got, rid, I got rid of this trunk. I got rid of this stump. And if the kid lost his wagon, that's too bad. I mean... I think people misunderstand exactly that ends justify the means thing. You I think, think so? It, yeah, I do. Uh, Want to talk about it? Uh, okay. All right. We can talk about that. But first, uh, first, let's try this this fancy beer here. What do we got? Well, I got a beer that is not a local beer. <laughs> Which we thought it was. I got it from the local section. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of... It's, it's, it's from Urban South Brewery. I'm like... I don't know. People in the north actually do think that Maryland is the south. Yeah, we're south of the Mason-Dixon well, we don't, line. You know, but we, we don't think, think of ourselves, ourselves. As, yeah. as the south. I said, that's a weird name. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's from New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, Maryland, we didn't we didn't fight in the Civil War. And, yeah. Uh, we just don't really think of ourselves as south. Uh, holy roller. Hazy, mm-hmm. juicy, certainly hazy, very light in color. Very light. And, uh, yeah, definitely some haze going on there. Nice aroma. Uh, it's a little, huh, a little thin. A little thin. Yeah, a little thin. It's a, it's a little touch watery. And uh, what did I see on here? Did I see seven percent somewhere? I'm making that up. I thought I saw six and a half. Oh yeah, here we go, right up there. I can't read it. Six point three. Where are you looking? Yeah, six point three. All right. Okay. Anyway. So it's it's fine. It's not the best uh, IPA I've had. It's a, it is. It is hazy. It's a little bit juicy, and it's a little bit uh-huh. thin. It's it's fine, but it's it's not. Uh, don't go out of your way to get this one. Yeah. Lovely smell. Mm-hmm. That's the easy part. The <laughs> easy, easy part of making an IPA uh, yeah. is jacking up the aroma at the end. Just throw uh-huh. a bunch of hops in at the end, you get this great aroma. But it doesn't. I I don't know. I I don't really think of uh, cloying as juicy. Yeah. I don't know what I mean. Well, I don't know what I think when I hear. What's juicy for you? So, well, for me, I think they're, for a hazy, hazy IPA, they're mean juicy hop flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, but, but what's specific? But not, but it's not sticky. That's different. That's no, resiny. Yeah. That's a little bit different than juicy. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk it, about it, that in another episode where we talk about, <laughs> and talk about I mean, beers. What? We're going to do an episode where we talk about beer? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. Not a bad idea. All right, so, so this phrase, the ends justify the means. All right, so it comes from Machiavelli's The Prince. And, uh... Well, at least people attribute it to that, right? They do. And we'll get into that. Uh, what do you think... What do you think people think of? Or, or actually, how we got into this topic was... I, it, I, I thought to myself, that's just one of those terms mm-hmm. and one of those historical figures that me and countless other people feel they have a handle on mm-hmm. and they are comfortable tossing around the term Machiavellian to describe somebody uh and then i said like i don't really know that much about machiavelli other than well what what your first thoughts yeah so so i have two two first thoughts if that's possible so i remember the first time that i ever heard someone uh described as machiavellian yeah was i was working in a job and working as an editor and uh, one of the one of the marketing managers Claimed that her favorite book was Machiavelli's *The Prince*. Okay. Now this this character was uh, Machiavellian in the sense that it's commonly used, kind of a kind of a uh, ruthless, anything to get her way, dastardly. dastardly. But but she also 
just never struck me as the kind of person who had ever read a book, much less something, <laughs> much, something as short as The Prince. It's a pretty short it, book. It is a pretty know? short book. Yeah, but uh, he just thought that they enjoy tossing the term around. Yeah, I think yeah. I think she was just saying that she likes the idea of getting my way in whatever by whatever means necessary. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, all along until last week, <laughs> it was just... I, uh, ruthless politician. Yeah. Right. That's well, that was my look. second thought. It's uh -huh. basically, yeah. Okay. Some, somebody who wants to, they have an agenda. It's kind of like by any means necessary. Right. That's, that's what, that's what you think of when you think of Machiavelli. And general, and, uh, are successful. Yeah. As a result. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you get what you want. You're just a bastard. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, that's a little more nuanced than that. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I've spent a, a week digging into it a little bit and, uh, so let's see what we got here. Yeah. So I, I spent some time. Uh, Watching and listening and reading and stuff, and to tell you the truth, a uh, significant portion of it is kind of boring. Well, yeah, okay. So let's let's do the the historical framework here. Yeah. So it's written in fifteen thirteen. Mm -hmm. Machiavelli had been uh, a important figure in the Florentine government, and the Florentine government had been a republic for a very long time, like, mm -hmm. like a thousand years, right? Like, right. And. Uh, the Medici family overthrows the Republic and establishes themselves as install. They, they installed prince. So these are these. Italy is fantastic in this period, in the sense that they're very small but powerful provinces. Mm -hmm. They're very small, and they change hands, and their popes intervene, and foreign powers come in and take them over. It's a very exciting time. Uh, exciting, but Machiavelli exciting, was on exciting. the Remember that may you live in exciting times is a Chinese curse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Bring back the boring. That's probably what a lot of people are living in exciting <laughs> times right. are thinking. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so Machiavelli is uh, on the wrong side of things because he's part of the Republic and he's jailed and apparently he's tortured and then uh, exiled. Just outside of Florence, he's got a nice little place out there, you know, home arrest kind of a thing. Yeah. And that's where he writes The Prince, and this is 1513. Now, when's, when's Luther? 1517. Uh, yeah, I yeah, mean, this is pretty, a yeah. pretty happening time, really. Right. Uh, new ideas are affecting things, and so anyway, okay, so he, he, write, he writes this book, and like you say, he, he's clearly not writing this, a book for... To be timeless, right? It's, it's he's referring to local. It's like an events. Extend, it's like an extended resume. I mean, he's yeah. He's sort of saying, "Hire me, I'll give you good advice." Yeah, yeah. Because, or we'll, we'll get into it in, in a second. Uh, he's not particularly sentimental about the republic. You would think that he would like join the resistance, and uh, republics are the only way to go, and this princely stuff has got to stop. We are Florence, and we are republicans. And he's like, nah, just need a job. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, it's, right? It's, it seems like he's being very Machiavellian. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You mean a guy named Machiavelli? What are the odds? I know. Yeah, so. <laughs> There's this mood where, where uh, I can't even think of what it was. So, they, they, they talk about Lou Gehrig, and, he's, and the guy goes, Wait a minute. You're telling me a guy named Lou Gehrig died of Lou Gehrig's disease? What are the chances? That's awful. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So, because the, the first part, he's just talking about the nature of government. So, it's not really applicable in the way that you think of that the, that the, that the prince provides information yeah. that is useful now. And that's yeah. why it's, you know, it's why it's lasted. He's talking about all these, all these categories, like, you know, a, a principality that has a, a hereditary prince or a principality right, that so has it, some, and we're like, we, we don't live in that world. Right. We don't live in that world, but he's, but, but let's just, but if you think about it though, let's think about it in terms, well, maybe it could be applied. What is the difference between a corporation where the man running the corporation mm -hmm. is the grandson of the man that started the corporation, right. as opposed to the CEO that's the result of a hostile takeover, as a result of a CEO that was hired from somewhere else but not hired from within. But when they These do a actually, hostile takeover, they don't come and kill the uh, Well, they don't, they, they don't kill him, but you yeah. have a, the man who's in charge has no history with this. Yeah. So anyway, so what he's saying is there are number... You could be... The prince, because your family has been the prince, he says, right. that's the easiest one to maintain. Right. Yeah, that's the most legitimacy. Uh, you could, if you come in and you take the, 
principality by force. Well, you mean you've got some, you know, you've got some fears instilled in the people. Right. That one's kind of easy to, to hang on as to. Long as, as long as you wipe out the previous guys and stay there. there right, right. Yeah. right, and stay right. That's another thing, right? You're, yeah. You can't rule from afar. Right. Uh, then there's one where you're in there by good fortune, and you're from outside the area, and the area was a previous republic. Yeah. That's the hardest one to maintain. Right. And that's the situation they're in. Yeah. So right, he's sort of basically setting up, like you said, the resume. Yes. He's setting up, all right, this is the worst. And this is why you need my advice, because you're in the worst possible situation. Yeah, gosh, it would be horrible if you were here. <laughs> You'd need somebody to, to help you out. Who hmm. wonder who that could be. Then on to chapter three. Yes. So yeah. the reason that that one's so horrible is because the people are used to not being ruled by mm -hmm. a prince. And you don't have any hereditary <laughs> thing. And you didn't conquer the place. Yeah, no. right? You know, because so uh, what was the deal like the... the the Pope's army brought in Spanish troops, or so you know what I mean. Like, like it, it was one in the, in a way that the, wasn't even the Medici, the Medici family itself. They weren't the generals. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. They were just kind of put in there to be in charge, to rule on behalf. Yeah, Machiavelli also says not to trust uh, uh, when you hire forces. What do they call mercenaries? Yeah, yeah, not yeah. to trust mercenaries. Well, right. right. No, he spends a long time with that, and and uh, I'm not sure if that's we have any. Do you have any twenty uh, first century application for uh, for mercenaries? For mercenaries versus uh, your own people. I mean, other other than leading from behind, maybe, and trying to get everybody else to fight for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. All right. And you know, the fact of the matter is, we do have hereditary kings and so forth mm -hmm. in the world nowadays. Now, you know, in England, it's one thing. But then in, in Syria or other places like that, you've got these families that rule. Oh, yeah, well, leading from behind, that's actually not bad. I remember it during the, the, the coalition building. Yeah. Uh, some people going, hey, there needs to be so much coalition building. Let's just get a consensus here. We don't need a bunch of other troops here mm -hmm. because, uh, yeah, now you get into the situation where, yeah, where you're other, you know, you're, you're relying on the loyalty of other people. Right, that you might not have. Right. So the, the, the interesting thing, what, what Machiavelli is trying to propose, and through going through a bunch of different examples, he goes through historical examples, and he goes through different, uh, different situations. And what he's trying to say is, these are, the, these are the means and these are different circumstances to achieve um, greatness right. and to achieve stability for the people. Because really... Like I say, in exciting times, you know, right, people want boring times. Yes. And stability, he makes a big deal about st stability. So when he's talking about the prince uh, holding on to power, right, he's also ta he's talking about the stability of the region. Yeah. The, not like holding on to power at the expense of the people. Holding on to power in such a way that the people like that. They're like, all right, we know what's going on here. And they're, you know, you know how, like, when the whole kingdom is just like, they had a son. Oh, God, thank yeah. God there's a son. Right? <laughs> Otherwise, there's going to be another. If they don't have a son, another family might come in and try to install their son. And, right. And so uh, when he talks about the goal being stability and prosperity, if, there's, if, there's, if we're not being attacked and people are making money, everybody's happy. The prince is great, and he, and he, he doesn't have external threats, right. and uh, he's going to be there a long time. But, like I said, you can do... And one of the examples he gave about how this guy was very good at taking power and holding on to power, but it really was at the expense of the people. He was ruthless and brutal, uh, and uh, he says, in, in that sense, you get power, but not glory, and you want both. Right, so this is all this is all aimed at. <clears throat> if you're going to be a prince, if you're going to be a good prince, yeah. then you have to you have to achieve a certain level of glory yourself. But you also have to achieve a certain level of stability and prosperity for the mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm. So, so the goal was not simply self-aggrandizement. The goal no. was not simply yeah. the the prince becoming you know whatever he wants to do and sit in the room and eat cake and count as gold. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's he wants to have. He wants to be powerful, yeah. and he wants to be loved and feared, and he. But he also wants the people to be prosperous and to do well. Yeah, I mean that's right. That's that. That's the best way to ensure the stability is is not to be hated. Mm -hmm. 
So, so we uh, want to get into that hated versus loved versus feared versus thing. Uh, yeah, we will. Yep, we can do that. That's a good one. So, so one of the things that he asks is: it, Is it better to be loved or feared? Uh huh. And now, what's funny in a couple of places I've seen that say, I don't know if it's if it if it's written differently in different places in the book mm -hmm. or if the translation is different, but sometimes they say, uh, "Is it safer to be feared than loved?" Oh, interesting. Which okay, you know. Yeah, so so the idea which is, defines what better means, right? right? By better, I mean safer. So yeah, whatever. one of my daughters asked me one time, "Would I rather be loved or respected?" Uh, uh, yeah. Machiavellian sort of a question. Yeah. <laughs> it is a so, Machiavellian question. So, but what he's talking about is it better to be loved or feared? Yeah. And he gives some examples of generals, like he talks about Hannibal, mm -hmm. and he talks about this other general Scipio. Scipio yes, yeah. and that Scipio was more respected and loved and Hannibal was more feared right and that it was that Hannibal was more successful because you had a wider range of opportunities as a general if you were feared than if you were just loved and respected that there were things that you might have to do that would seem kind of dastardly that a general might have to try to do that if you're feared they'll still do mm -hmm. um, but I think he was saying it's one thing that, that people sometimes mistake, from what I understand, is they think, well, it's better to be feared than loved. But no, 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 no. What he says is it's better to be loved and feared. Yes. But if you had to choose, like if you had to choose between being loved mm -hmm. and feared, it's better to be feared. Right. But better than that is to be loved and feared. Yes, yes. They need to fear you, fear you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know what? No matter how palsy... A CEO might seem you still have to right. You still have to yeah. be afraid that you know what You're gonna th this guy could, could could cut my right nuts off. Yes, and uh, yes, yes. So, there is yeah. a certain extent, and I think that would right, be true, right, that would hold right. true like with a coach on a team or anything else. Yeah, right. You know, right, right. Think of a, a professional football coach. Yeah. He's got right, to be feared. Is it somewhere they're like, well, he's a player's coach. What does that mean? Are they pal, do they pal around? Yeah. Uh, eh, probably not. Well, I they probably do pal around, but but still, there has to be a, you know, if you cross him, uh -huh. you're out. Yeah. You know, there, there has to be that fear, or else there's not going to be any discipline. There's not going to be any respect. Yeah. Right. And, uh, all right, easy, Eric. Don't call me Jim. Call me coach. All right. Okay. All right. You know what I mean? Like you draw, right. you make sure that no matter how much fun we're having and how yeah. much we somebody all love each other, yeah. let's make it, you know, or if somebody tries, there if somebody tries to take over the agenda and say, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to play this way. Okay. Sorry. You know, uh, yeah. we're doing it my way or you're out. And it's not, well, you know what? We'll get to this other one here because we can do this, in foot, the, this football analogy, uh, strike hard and early. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. But whatever. So let's just say you have an undisciplined and disruptive team, mm -hmm. I say you come in and you chop off a few heads. Yeah. Right? You, tr you, you trade. I don't care how good they, they are. You trade that guy, cut that guy, trade that guy, and get them all. And then, and then, and then everybody in the locker room looks at each other like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I see there's a new regime in town. and uh, It's pulling the Band-Aid off quickly. Yeah. Because if you... and you Right. You do it hard and you do it early. Yes. And get it over with. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, said, he follows that same principle in a couple different ways. One is, like, if, if in taking over a territory you have to do some dastardly things, yeah. just do them, get it over with, and be done with it. Because, because it's easier... Like people will forget that. Yeah. But if you're if you're you, continually you, yeah. if you're continually yeah. over the years doing dastardly things, and now you're just going to get a reputation of being a, a rotten person, that's not going to work. And he also uses that analogy with fighting. He says, "Look, try not to, try not to get in a war. But if you have to get in a war, just do it and get it over with, right?" Big weed here. We love receiving comments from our listeners, and so if you have something to contribute, comment, disagree, we'd love to hear it. We can be reached at bigweedshow at gmail.com. Just called Pigweed, but Crow Hill will listen to it. So you're kind of reminding me of what, who's the guy, the bad guy in the Karate Kid movie, Strike Fast, Strike Hard, Show No Mercy? Remember that guy? Yeah. yeah. I mean, is that, is that Machiavelli? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you want to get in there early, take care of the problem. But the the, the metaphor that you that he uses is the uh, which is this is a tricky one. 
is the doctor's metaphor mm -hmm. that if you can spot the problem early, it's hard to spot the problem early. Yeah. But if you do, it's easy to deal with. Right. If you wait until you've got this terrible festering wound, now it's obvious to everyone what the problem is, but it's a lot harder to deal with. Right. And so in terms of, uh, you know, rebellion, and uh, so this, he did the section on kindness and liberality, and that was also the thing he was talking about, the Scipio, his criticism was, there's, if there's a mutiny... Mm -hmm. You know, you can have some clemency, but you risk a further worse mutiny. Or right, or or let's just say there's this there's a rebellious cell. Right. Right. That's over. You're like they're not really a threat, and I don't want to come off as too heavy-handed in this situation. So I'm just going to kind of let this Nazi party that's not very <laughs> it's not much of a threat uh, just let it go on. But how do you spot it? Yeah. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. How do you? What you know, could you could you see? Yeah, of course you could. Like all I had to do was kill Hitler when he was uh, <laughs> after he gave his first speech, and, yeah. and uh, we never would have had this problem. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, it's, it's a common it's a common problem. People will frequently use the same kind of argument about people who have uh, a mental problem who then go on to be mass murderers. You know, they, well, they, if I hear one more person say. You know, there were signs. I know. Yeah, there's always, of course, of course there were. Of course there are signs. But the, pro the problem is you're, you're dealing with it after the fact. How many yeah. false positives do you have? Yeah. How many people are there where there are signs, you know, and nothing ever happens? Yeah, and right? how many of those people do you want stuck in insane asylums or some special jail that you decided right. uh, belongs there because, you know... But Machiavelli might round them all up and shoot them. You might, have, yeah. might, yeah. Yeah, so it's not really, you know, totally applicable to yeah. the 21st century. There's <laughs> right. some nuance here. Um, yeah, so treat the disease early. Right, don't be too soft on... Rip off the um, Band-Aid, right, yeah. Uh, so I thought about this. What if, in the effort to be sound magnanimous and a, a new regime, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this long-term enemy, mm -hmm. hypothetically. Mm -hmm. And this enemy that, that, that for years before you has always been your enemy, and then you come in, you go, I'm doing things a new way. Let's just say this land is in ancient Persia. Right. But today. And in order to get them to play nice, and for the sake of prosperity and stability, you fly in a big pallet full of cash in the middle of the night, and you give it to them on the ground, on the, with the belief that, well, they're going to come around to our side. And then they take that to, to, to fund terrorism, which kills... <laughs> American so oh did I say American I mean hypothetical civilians and soldiers and then you go so so he would he he would say you see what niceness got you yeah right it, niceness actually got you more damage in the long term if you had just stayed mean from the beginning yeah. we wouldn't have had this problem so right. I think that is a hypothetical example of what Machiavelli would say no you 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 don't give your enemy the opportunity. To take advantage of you, and that doesn't make you mean. So, so one thing I thought was interesting that, that came out in some things I was looking at was he talked about a couple of men who were leading men in the past who were trained by Chiron, who was a centaur, and the centaur was this teacher. He was he's a centaur, so he was part man mm -hmm. and he was part animal. Mm -hmm. And the significance of that for Machiavelli is Machiavelli talks about man being both the man mm -hmm. and being the beast mm -hmm. and that you have to sometimes be the man yeah. and you have to sometimes be the beast yeah. you have to sometimes be rational and caring and everything else and sometimes you have to be cruel yeah and uh and then but this is oh, yeah so then but and then on the beast side you can divide it up between being the lion and being. hold on the let fox. me set this up a little bit because yeah. it's actually i remember when we were talking about doing this you're like i think that part of this is satire so this is a direct jab at Cicero, mm -hmm. who they said at the time, everybody knew Cicero's on virtue. I mm -hmm. think that's what it was. It's like where you learned your Latin. Yeah. So everybody read it, and it was considered to be like how a virtuous person operates. And he says not to be beastly. Do not be like the lion, who is brute force, or the fox, who is as sneaky and wily. And so he and, so and everybody's read. Everybody has read it. Everybody is versed in it, and everybody's buying into it. And Machiavelli says, "What do you mean? 
Some, sometimes be the lion, sometimes be the fox. Yeah, of course you'd be beastly. Right. But you have to know when to be when, when to be which. Right. So so I think I think he sort of has a first was the division, when to be the rational man versus yeah. when to be the beast. Right. And when you're the beast, sometimes be the lion and sometimes be the fox. Right. Whereas right. Caesar is trying to say always be manly and never be beastly. And you're like, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There there's a time. I mean, like watch Braveheart. Yeah. You know, t- tell me that dude wasn't beastly. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. You know? So there there are times, Machiavelli would say, for the prince to just say, I'm going to channel my inner uh, beast and and just go at it. Yeah. Uh... All right, we'll come back to that one there. Uh, the Cicero, right. Don't be beastly. He's saying... Uh, Appear to be good. This is all right. This is where I'm going to draw the line. Yeah. Uh, I get. I love the idea. Appear to be good. Do the popular mm-hmm. and delegate the difficult. So what? okay. Uh, but but which I like it. Except for, do you remember? Do you remember his example with Borgia? I don't know, I don't know what the guy's name is. Cesare Borgia. He has him do all the nasty. And then, in the end, publicly executes the guy, <laughs> and and while he's and, and he's providing entertainment, he's buying snacks. Everybody, it's like, all right, wait a minute, I, 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 I that's a little, that's more Machiavellian than I can handle. <laughs> so, yeah, you so know, this then, reminds me. What this reminds me of is back when I was a young man and was struggling with the whole question of of uh, morality and whether morality is an absolute or a relative thing and all that. And it occurred to me that. If you believed that there was no such thing as real morality, then probably the smartest thing to do would be during the daytime to preach morality mm-hmm. and during the nighttime to raise hell. <laughs> okay. Because the point would be, I want everybody else to be moral. Uh-huh. I want everybody else to believe in not stealing and not killing. And right, because I think that, that, that makes for us more stable and prosperous yeah. society. Because it makes and... my life better because none of those people are stealing from me. But I want to be able to steal it, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so, so there is there is that side to what Machiavelli's talking about. It's kind of like um, from time to time you have to do bad things, but don't worry about it. You know, that's well, just that's just what you got to do. I think that's how we get to the end, justify the means, and that, I, I think it's actually the end. The end, not the ends, but the end. Yeah, justifies you're like, the you're means. Like, yeah. because you're talking so, about a specific goal, like right. the, the, There was just. I mean, I guess you could say it in a broader sense. I guess ends would mean more broadly, but yeah. I think that, that... So I was thinking of it in the sense of, let's say I've got this... We started off today talking about the stump in the backyard, <laughs> yeah. which, and that story, of course, is entirely fictitious. But let's, yeah. let's say I've that got a... just doing just fine. Yeah. This <laughs> yeah. Let's say I have a fence post that I need to take down. Uh-huh. All right? Now, there's various ways to try to do that. I could... I could try to push it. I could try to dig it out. I could take a big sledgehammer and hit it. I could pick you up and swing you against it, you know, yeah. to try to oh, knock it down, yeah. right? Now, one of those means will work, right. okay? So let's say picking you up and swinging you against the post actually knocks the post down. I say, and knocks my head off. Yeah, it knocks your head off at the same time. And I say, see, well, it worked, yeah. right? So the, the problem is... The end does justify the means. The end just doesn't justify any possible means, right? Yes. Like, yeah. if I, the, I, okay, I could dig it out, I could push it over, I could hit it with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Well, getting it done justifies whichever one of those means I use. Mm-hmm. It would not justify swinging you into the post <laughs> and knocking your head off, right? Yeah. So, well, also, what, what in, in, this, in this context, uh, first off, first off, he never. That phrase never occurs in okay, the book. Right. People assume that that's that's, that's, what, that, that's, that's like that's like the bumper sticker re- reaction. To yeah, 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 yeah. You know, how, but, but, but when you you're not quoting Machiavelli when you say that yeah. he justifies the means, but what you're what you're doing is you're Your summarizing right, yeah. what he says when he all he's saying is, uh, if you've decided. And in order to achieve this goal, and this goal will benefit everyone, I mean, not everybody, not everybody, but it will increase stability and prosperity. Right. For, and you realize you have to do something nasty, don't sweat it. Because 
in the end, people are only going to remember the positive benefits that came out of this. Yeah, so it's he's very different than saying, uh, do anything that's necessary that you have to in order to get what you want. Right. And I think that's the misinterpretation. Yeah, I think it is a misinterpretation. But still, he's holding up two things as the goals. One one thing is the glory for the prince. Yeah. And the other thing is the stability and peace of the of the people. Yeah. Okay. And he's saying, okay, those are my two goals. And from time to time, you have to do dastardly things to achieve those goals. Yes. Don't sweat it because Don't those sweat two it. because those two goals justify the the nasty things. Whatever that you do to get kind of machinations not, 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 not are going whatever, but but to a certain extent, you know, yeah. they justify a lot of of you know knives in the dark and you know executing some guy who. I know, you who was just doing your bidding. Exactly. Yeah. You tell him to do something and then you kill him. So and you're like, wow, that was a very good job. Yeah. And then you drag him out of the street and split him in half. Uh, I want to go back a little bit to not to that short, sharp shock. Yeah. So you, you're cruel now to prevent further cruelty in the future. Well, wasn't that, that was, the, wasn't that our strategy, the shock and awe strategy of General... Um, yeah, Schwartz and... Schwartz, yeah, Schwartz, whatever. In the first world, Gulf yeah. War. Yeah. That, that was the, it was like hit him hard and get it over with. But what about uh, uh, how would Machiavelli handle one year of Portland rioting? <laughs> Gosh, right? It's, it's, so you so you go so so ten months ago, you go in and you crack some skulls and you yes. make it known, and you're like, oh, that's so harsh and heavy-handed. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have had eleven other months. Of rioting, burning, looting businesses, yeah. civilians. So you injured. would go in. You would go in that first month, yeah. and you'd crack some skulls, you throw skulls. some people in jail, and, and then for a long then, time. And then five months later, people would forget about it. It's like yeah, because peace would come back, and that would be that. Right? They're like, ah, she was really mean, wasn't he? Like, what are we talking about? What, yeah, I know things are fine. Things yeah, are pretty yeah, safe now. We've got this look festering. Clean, look how clean the streets are. Yeah, now we have this festering sore that's yes. just been going on all this time. Yeah. So I'd say uh, there, there is an argument for going. I've been a little bit Machiavellian on that one. Um, oh, always prepare for war. Yeah. And that it's important for, uh, and it sounds medieval, but really it is applicable, right? Isn't that, what, what's the Peace walk softly right. and uh, carry a big stick? That's right. the early part of the 20th century. Then Reagan was uh, yeah. peace through strength, right? right. Mm -hmm. And so he says oh, that princes should know, study warfare, study their surroundings mm -hmm. and he, he says you know he's talking about a particular prince you know probably everybody knew at the time of the book but uh he would ride around and he would say to you general what if they were coming over the hill right there what would you do uh -huh. right and he would go okay well we would need to re right so you're always wargaming right he's talking about wargaming that's all it's really yes. right because if you don't prepare for war then you really can't establish the peace because the fact is war will come and you're right you're more likely to get the war Yes. By not preparing for it. Yes. It's not like, oh, they're so if militaristic, all they're, all they're marching around all the time. What, what are they trying to start a war? Ew. So, so you could make an argument the other way. Now, generally speaking, I'm a big advocate of peace through strength. That yeah. if you show weakness, yeah. that invites mm -hmm. a conflict from other people. <clears throat> generally speaking, I agree with that. However, World War I might be the counterexample where things were a powder keg. Things were so much prepared for war, the littlest thing set it off. Yeah, right. Because everybody was gearing up for war, and so yeah, when that one thing happened, yeah, yeah that's a good, that's a that's a good point. What's the um? Uh, I had another thought on that. Well, it'll come to me. Um, the other one, the other analogy where it works the other way. I mean, the other example where it works the opposite way is is never be neutral. Mm -hmm. Right, because the you know the that winner is not going to respect you. Right, the loser is going to resent you for not coming on their side. The right. winner is going to be like, well, where were you, puss? Right. Uh, and so, but I heard somebody bring up the example of during World War Two, uh, uh, Mussolini hitched his wagon to right. Hitler and Franco. Stayed out of it. Spain stayed out of it. And Spain and, was and, better off. And, yeah. and he lasted for 30 more years. Right. Now, Spain so, had their own problems, but still, yeah, they, they but it didn't. Did, but it, but, but it, they didn't suffer as a result of, of being neutral. Yeah. You know, and 
I don't know about Switzerland. What do you think about Switzerland? <laughs> I've always felt like, why, 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 are you, why are you so proud of being neutral? You. Well, I don't know. My ancestors are from Switzerland. <laughs> and, uh, so. Sure, it's lovely country and easy to defend. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah. So you know the, the the famous saying about Switzerland is is uh, you know everybody in Switzerland at one point was required to own a rifle. No kidding. No, they were all they had to have a rifle, right. and they were renowned as good marksmen. And one time when the German ambassador went to the Swiss ambassador and said, you know, we're thinking, or Switzerland said, we're, we're going to come through. What are you going to do? And he said, well, we'll resist you. And the German guy laughed and said, we outnumber you five to one. And the guy from Switzerland said, well, we'll give each of our men five bullets. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Even though that's right. <laughs> there you go. So, um, so I brought up, I brought up Cicero. Yeah. So this was a time when, uh, this is the this is the, the the Renaissance started in Florence, and is going full bore by the fifteenth hundreds, and by rebirth they mean a re appreciation of the classics. Right. So you're like I said, you're, you're you know you're reading Cicero, you're you're reading uh, Greeks and Romans, and uh, and you are embracing their values. However. It's super, super Christian. Yeah. Right? Well, no, no, well. Uh, super Catholic. Catholic. So, yes, they're all Catholic at the time, but they're reading Cicero, who's really not Catholic. Yeah. He's, he's classical, and his attitude seems to be, follow the virtues, and you'll be successful. Yeah. Right? Follow these, these moral principles, and that will lead to greatness. Mm -hmm. And Machiavelli is basically saying, nonsense. He says, yeah, you know what? Those values are really nice. Good job there, Cicero. I like that. But that's not going to keep you in power when you're surrounded by wicked men. Yes, right. So, so Kind of a negative view of humanity, but so, so Christianity had a negative view of humanity. Yeah, so, so I see like three poles here. Go ahead. On the, on the one hand, we have Cicero, who says, follow the virtues and you'll be successful. That, that that's the correct path towards success. Machiavelli, who says, no, success has has different paths to it like hold up success hold up the honor of the prince the glory of the prince and the stability of the people and the wealth of the people both those things are goals but you can't get there by what cicero would call virtues yeah. right but then i think you have the christian value yeah which is to say no 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 there really are virtues yeah. and they you know they they generally lead towards success but not all the time mm -hmm. and there are times that where the right choice is to get your head chopped off yeah, because the could be because the ultimate goal of glory is in, is in heaven is in not, after, right. is in the afterlife. Yes, not and on so, earth. And so, so for he is flying in the face of both of them. Yes. and uh, it, the you know, of course, we read it now as kind of be as, as kind of cool, and that's the way people were. He he, this was almost scandalous, yes. I think, at the time. Of course, it would be because because you're right. He's He's rejecting Cicero. Cicero <laughs> right. is saying, Cicero is saying, so follow the virtues. virtues. You've got two things converging at the same time. You've got Christian values and Roman values, and the Renaissance is kind of trying to make sense of both of them. Right. And what does he do? He's, he's just saying no. Both he, to both of them. Yeah, right. He's saying no to both. He's saying that the prince, that the highest value for the prince is his own glory and the stability of the people, yeah. and the path to get there yeah. is not the, the, the classic virtues. Right. It's it's like appeared to be good, but from time to time you gotta stick stab somebody in the back. Yeah, and and know, I recognize that what you're saying; those are good, but you're not gonna be on top for very long. Yeah, if that's what you want. And he's like you say, he's he's, he's this is his resume to the Medici family, and saying, uh, and and I think everybody's if people are going are thinking it's scandalous because that's not the kind of thing that you say in public in 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 public conversation, but privately everybody's going, yeah, that is how it works, really, right? I'm so, sure they all recognized the truth of it. Mm -hmm. At the same time, felt like you know, you, you're, you had to show some outward outrage yeah. at uh, proposing such a thing. But then again, we all get it. So I, so I have a crazy theory that's supported by very, very little uh, evidence, here, yeah, you... which, is, which is one time I listened to this, this guy make an argument that the entire, the prince was tongue-in-cheek and not to be taken seriously uh -huh. that he didn't really mean any of this stuff that apparently in his early now i don't know this because yeah. i'm not a classicist i can't say that supposedly in his earlier writings 
Machiavelli was very, very different than what he said in The Prince. So they're, they're saying, look, this is totally out of character with what he said all in his earlier life. So, so one interpretation, which apparently is this, this minority interpretation by this, this one guy, saying that this, The Prince is supposed to be taken as kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would venture to say that what really happened was that he had a crisis of faith. Mm. That when that he used to believe certain things, and then when things turned against him and his life got bad and he was tortured in prison <laughs> and everything, tortured right, in prison. right? That probably changes your perspective on yes, things. Yes, it changes yeah. perspective, and and then he he lost his faith in both Cicero and Christ, yeah, and said no. This, uh, I see that that the path to glory and stability and prosperity, it's not this way. It's not that way. It's a little bit of both. After being broken on the wheel, yes. uh, I've had some. <laughs> I've changed my perspective on things. Yes, but that's just my ignorance. I uh, does, guess. That's I mean, pretty good, though. I, I like it. Um, let me just ask you: Who do you think was the first Machiavellian president? Who Machiavellian president? Yeah, yeah. What name was so? Let's see. With your Washington, family? Adams, Jefferson, <laughs> Madison. Let's see. Uh, hmm. The first Machiavellian president. Well. I suppose you might want to accuse Thomas Jefferson because he like said that he was not in favor of a strong central government and then did the Louisiana Purchase. All right, all right. So, so there's maybe some argument there. Okay. Um, all right. but, moving uh, on. Yeah, moving on. But you know, I start to get hazy once you get a little farther into the list there. So, so who were you thinking? You had somebody in mind. At the exact same time, I uh, am, you know. Schooling so you, myself on, on Machiavelli. On Machiavelli. Right? I'm also listening to an excellent podcast called uh, Presidential. Yes. And what they in uh, 45 weeks before the election, yeah. they did one president per week, and every president got the same treatment. Got yeah. 35 to 40 minutes or right. whatever. And uh, so there mm-hmm. I am cooking in the kitchen listening to... Old James K. Polk. Well, one of those really 11. well, one of those really well-known presidents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is, there a, is there a high school named Polk? High school? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody somewhere. Well, there's the Polka. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Number eleven. He kind of. This is 1845 to 1849. As I'm listening to it, they, the the in, the intros that she says, uh, she says James K. Polk, perhaps our most successful president. I'm like. Well, let's really? listen to that. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and by successful, in a very Machiavellian way, he achieved all of the major goals that he set out. You know how right. some people have, you know, these grand ideas that we're going to close Guantanamo on the first day. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Like, he, want, he wanted to get California was one of them. Yeah, yeah yes. Uh, so, uh so the, the the interviewer asks the expert, so, you know, what, you know, after they both sort of acknowledge this successful presidency that he had, what do you think was at the heart of the, his ability to be so successful? She goes, <laughs> she goes he lies. <laughs> and the funny thing was that, that apparently up until <laughs> Polk's time, it was scandalous for some leader to lie. Well, because your character was everything, right? And to be no, you know, to be a liar. Well, that would uh, tarnish your character. Challenge somebody to a duel. He'd be, <laughs> he'd be out there dueling people, right? Uh, but she's like, yeah. And then so the interviewer says, uh, you know, so did it ever come around, you know, to to bite him in the end? No, no, <laughs> no it all worked out pretty well for him, right? He's like he would tell things to 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 he, to his, he would lie to his own party. Vote for this, and I'll vote for that, and do that. and uh, then just flat out wouldn't. Uh, so it, it's a very Machiavellian. Uh, so I'm thinking of this, unless I'm listening to it, I'm going, yeah, it sounds like the book I'm reading. <laughs> maybe James Polk just, read Machiavelli. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, probably did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, he, right, he also so, had yeah. an interesting uh, event in his early life. Isn't Polk the one who had? some really serious health crisis when he was young and made him very sickly and weak. And then he had, he had to have bl- some... Bladder some, problems. Some, yeah, some horrible surgery that left him uh, sterile. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, then, right. but then was much healthier afterwards. Was very healthy, got his, you know, got his vigor, but, you know, it left the mark yeah. because he wasn't able to sort of 
run around and be as, uh, you know, as uh, athletic and do the things that a Frontiers boy did. Right. And uh, probably had a little resentment and uh, wanted needed to prove his manliness mm-hmm. because he hadn't been very manly. Uh, because In, in the, the normal way, right? Right, yes. the normal sort of rough-and-tumble way that boys right. are. Especially, you know, back then, especially in, the, you know, where, where he lived. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I would say, so, yeah, so he got uh, California, Texas, the entire Southwest, mm-hmm. um, even the Oregon Territory, which yeah. I don't really know the story on that, uh, established a an independent treasury. What, what, what do you think that means? As, as opposed to a national bank, which would be yeah. government run? Yeah. yeah. Is our treasury, what is our treasury now? Is it part of, part of the government or not? I'm not really sure. You yeah. know, I had a conversation oh, with yeah, write that down for a yeah, yeah, right. So I, I know that there's some weird relationship between like the Fed and the Treasury and all that kind of stuff. Right. You, can't, right. you can't dictate to the Fed what, you know, what rates should be or something be, right. like yeah. that. Right. right. So, it, yeah. I mean, it does have a certain... But the Fed and the Treasury have been have been different things for a while, and then recently there was a change to that. I don't know. I'm, it's something I don't know, I know. a lot about. I know. That's yeah. very interesting. Uh... So Polk, the first Machiavellian president. That's what I'm saying. But, but he certainly paved the way because presidents since certainly have done their share of lying. There's been more lying? <laughs> hmm. Except for Jimmy Carter. Probably <laughs> <laughs> true. And look where that got him. Right. On, the, on the bottom of the list, right, of most right. effective and uh, successful presidents. Right. Yeah, he's right down there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Too virtuous. There you go. There you, go. you know? So, so I think the... The question that a president would have to face, let's say you had a very devout president who realized that in order to in order to achieve what was best for the country and best for the people, he would have to do some dastardly thing. Yeah. And he'd be faced with, do yeah. I follow my principles or do I do what's best for the country and for, you know, my glory or my reputation yeah. or whatever? So you have one one guy. Exactly. Is That's say, a great question. Go ahead. One, one guy is going to say, I can't do it. I'm, it I'm violates my conscience. It violates my conscience. I'll, I'll resign or whatever. I just won't do it. Another guy is going to say, eh, I took an oath to the, you know, protect the Constitution and, and the country. And Machiavelli is like, once you make that decision. Just make it and feel good about yeah, it. Yeah, there's no conscience here. There's no moralizing and fretting and, you know, you, you make the decision. Yeah. You say, that's what, that's, that was, this was a decision to get us where we need to be in. Ah. And to a certain extent, to, to a small extent, I would endorse that. Like, mm-hmm. I think presidents have to be willing to send people to their death, right? That's, presidents, a, that's tough, but yeah. that's, that's the job. Exactly. Presidents have to be willing to do hard things, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be able to willing to do immoral things. Yeah. I think that's where Machiavelli okay. goes a little too far. So <laughs> I, would, I would hope that there would never be a situation where you have to do the immoral thing. But, I mean, probably there is. There, there probably is a situation where in order to promote the the benefit of the country and the benefit of the people, you have to do something that's really pretty crappy. Well, uh, what about the, 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 the Bay of Tonkin? Yeah. Is similar to now, similar to Pol- Polk's provoking the, the Mexican, Mexican-American yeah. War. Right. But it, it actually was based, when he went onto the floor and said, we, American blood has been spilled on American soil. It actually had been. It had been. So but it was it quite, we provoked them. Yeah. But yes, yeah. exactly. But right. you had that thing. So, you know, that's skirting the line a little bit. Yeah. But in the end, you get Texas, you get California, <laughs> you get the whole Southwest. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Was that immoral or was that. You're, really, you're just down there poking them with a stick until they take a swing at you and you go, and they hit you in the face and you go, well. Now, now they, it's on. You started it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. So I don't think that crosses the line of immoral, but it, it is Machiavellian. It is Machiavellian. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think we have uh, given a little bit more depth to this term that I only assumed meant ruthless politician. It, it really only meant the marketing manager that I worked with back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, there's something to be learned by a marketing manager. There you from, go. From. From this book, but I don't think he ever thought that, you know, that people would still be, that, that you and I would be sitting here today. No, no. It was just, a thousand, it was, it was just it, the job interview. It was just now. the job interview I mean, for... I mean, it's only, it's not even 100 pages. No. Uh, but, uh, yeah.
Yeah. All right. Well written Good. and interesting. And uh, oh, do we need? Uh, do we have a man of the week this week? Well, let's wait. Wait for that one here. This one here. How about this? How about it's. It's going Don to be. Don Reader. It's going to be Don. Well, no, no, Don. It's going to be Officer Chad Zahn. Okay. So here we are in. Um, where are we? We're in Idaho, I think. Des Moines County, yep. And Don Reeder was a deputy for 30 years. Wow. But now he's 90 years old. Okay. And I, I don't know how this I don't know how this came about, but Officer Zahn said, "Would you, would you like to take a ride in the squad car?" Uh-huh. And he took 90-year-old Don out for a ride and they turned on the lights and the sirens. And they even actually made a call where he assisted on the call. And he's there. They look at him there with his with walker. His, with his walker, yeah. And uh, I don't really think that this was, you know, right? They weren't celebrating his birthday or anything. Uh, but, you know, it brought tears. Just honoring to his, an old man. He was yeah. just honoring an old man. And I guess in uh, the town of uh, Burlington, Iowa, this constitutes news. Yeah. I think that, Cool. I was like, I was like, well, exactly. How did this come about? I was like, well, there's probably not much else going on in uh, yeah. early. But you know, but good well, for one him. thing, one thing that is a common theme that I see across a lot of stories like this is that is that men who serve in these kinds of things have immense respect for other people who served in the, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Right. right. So part of the story. So I mean, you look at these two guys. So one guy's big, beefy, strong guy, and the other right. guy's, you know, he's he's 90 years old. He's kind of whittled down a little bit. Yeah. And but look who's the see, real man, not wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety years old. Yeah, you wear a mask you if you want, young, young yeah, But, but that's what. What a lovely thing to just honor an older guy for his ser- his previous service. And, right. Yeah. yeah. Here, he, right. He's one of us. He served out. He did his thirty years. Yeah. For the people of Iowa. Right. And uh, let me just do something nice for yeah, him. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why. That's you, Officer Chad Zahn, is our man of the week. Well, well done, Chad. Please remember to subscribe to Beer in Conversation with Pigweed and Crow Hill and leave us a nice review wherever you get your podcasts.